Hello, and thank you for joining us today as we walk shoulder to shoulder, growing in love with the Lord and each other. I'm Megan Silas. And I am Pam Marvin. And we are so happy that you are back with us today as we continue our journey through the joyful mysteries of the rosary in this beautiful month of May in which we honor our Blessed Mother Mary. So we are at the third one now. This is the big event, the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Nativity Christmas as we think of it. So not quite Christmas in July right now. We're doing Christmas in May. (laughs) But so as we have been doing, uh, as we are doing these um, mysteries of uh, the joyful mysteries, we're going right to scripture and reading out of the gospel of Luke, that beautiful gospel that seems to be closest to the heart of Mary uh, and really just kind of digging in there and seeing what scripture has to say and, and kind of, whatever the Holy Spirit brings to our hearts as we revisit these beautiful mysteries. So let's just get going with Luke chapter two. I will warn you that I'm going to do a little editing. They take a little detour over to the shepherds for a while during this passage. <laughs> so I'm going to stick, I'm going to stick with Joseph and Mary Okay, you're good. And, you're good. and skip a little bit, but we will be starting with Luke chapter two. And so they've called the, they've called the census and it says, and uh, jo- so Luke chapter two, verse four and Joseph went too, went up from Galilee, from the town of Ma- Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David that is called Bethlehem, because, because he was of the house and family of David, to be enrolled with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. While they were there, the time came for her to have her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. So then it cuts to the fields where the angels appear to the shepherds. Now we're come back on verse 15. When the angels went away from them to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go then to Bethlehem to see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went in haste and found Mary and Joseph and the infant lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known the message that had been told them about this child. All who heard it were amazed by what had been told them by the shepherds and Mary kept all these things reflecting on them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned glorifying, praising God for all they had heard and seen just as it had been told to them. Beautiful. Okay. Come Holy Spirit. Let's talk about Jesus birth. I mean, the obvious one, what we hear so oftentimes of reflect on the nativity of the Lord when it comes to pondering about it, it was his choice to be born in poverty, to be born mm-hmm. in this cave, this, um, I guess it, it's thought to be a cave and not like a barn, but it's, that's what they were. Place kind of, of keeping animals. Yes. Regardless of. Yeah. yeah. And the side, most likely it was inside of, a you know, just a, kind of a cavernish thing mm. which is the roof of the right yeah and the, and the animals were all there and his choice to be born that way and that poverty and that choice of his humility you know sending a lot of strong messages of what's important like he's the king of the universe and yeah let me just be born with the animals mm-hmm. yeah and also it's like Everything about it puts this holy family 
yes. in a discomfort, in discomfort, mm-hmm. in an, a place that's not their home, a place that's very, very lowly, having had to travel, having, you know, the, and I do think that it really does set the tone that when Jesus says, you know, the servant is is not going to be better than the master. Like he he's the master. He's come, right? He's he is the one who's going to show the way. Mm-hmm. And from the very beginning, he's showing the way that Christians will travel. You will be called outside of your comfort place. You will be called okay. outside of what feels maybe like home to you into a place that may feel uncertain, but you go in trust. And even if the circumstances aren't what you hope for, there will be consolations and confirmations from the Lord that you are doing the mission he's called you to. Mm. That's one of the things that I think is such a beautiful thing about this visitation of the shepherds to Mary and Joseph, because they're experiencing this as a human couple, knowing, yes, Mary's conceived this child, you know, divinely, but they don't know what that's going to mean and look like, right? And how that's all going to play itself out. Like, you know, I can only imagine that Mary and Joseph, they probably weren't even sure what the baby was going to look like when he came out, right? Like, I mean, is is a baby, like, born of God going to look just like a regular baby? I don't know. Right. And so, but then as, as time goes on and she has what seems like a very normal pregnancy and they're living a very normal life. And you could imagine that even two very, very beautiful, holy people could start to just kind of go into this place of this is all normal stuff. And then when the baby's born and he looks like a baby, the Lord's, you know, I think it's such a grace from God that says, and now I'm going to send you a confirmation, Mm. you know, because it says very specifically in the past, uh, in the passage that they confirmed would been told about them. They saw it. It was a confirm. What they saw from the the angels was confirmed by them when they saw Mary Joseph and the baby. And I can only imagine that the reality of who Jesus is was further confirmed to Mary and Joseph by this visitation of the shepherds. Right, right. I loved it. You know, I saw it recently for um, the Easter season was watching Jesus of Nazareth. You know, it's like mm-hmm. six hours long. So I'd watch take it an hour at a time. And it was a beautiful depiction. Um, the way they did that, um, they were, their expressions were n- not of surprise, but of kind of delight. Like, Mm-hmm. Yeah, we knew it, but the fact that you know this too is really right. awesome. Right, yeah, and that's exactly how I'd yeah. imagine. It wasn't it wouldn't be so much surprise, but it's just again, it's like when we we're talking about in the visitation, you know, Mary knew what had happened to her in the annunciation, but when she comes to Elizabeth and Elizabeth further confirms and acknowledges the reality of it, there's a joy that wells up in the sharing. Yes. 
and enough mm-hmm. the, the, of the confirmation. It's nice to have confirmations of things that you even know. Right. Like, you know your husband loves you, but if he looks at you with, in, with intention and tenderness and says, I love you, it feels good <laughs> to have the confirmation of something that you know in your heart, mm-hmm. you know, but that to just hear it and see it and have it confirmed in a beautiful mm-hmm. way. So I see this as a, a real graciousness of the Lord to give this to Mary and Joseph, right. this, this beautiful confirmation. And I'm also struck too in my own humanity to think about, you know, Joseph and Mary being the amazing people they were. I mean, Joseph wasn't born without original sin too, but not ever do you ever hear a faint of, really, Lord, you chose this. You are the king of the universe, and this is where you chose mm-hmm. to be to be born. See, they already had a very, very um, great disposition for that abandonment to God's good providence. Mm-hmm. Like they understood he was there in every moment of their lives. So there was no question, uh, why did you choose this, right? There was that... Just that piece of knowing that God was in charge and God was in control. Right. Which, boy, we all need that, right? Yeah, and I can also imagine that, I mean, I'll, maybe they weren't thinking about it at the first when, you know, they're like, all right, there's a census. We need to go, you know, to Bethlehem. You know, that this is what Rome is telling us we have to do. But then this realization, this has been prophesied, that the Messiah would come from the city of David. And here we are. Right. The Lord has brought us here and fulfilled right. what was prophesied, you know, and another confirmation. Right. Again, in the movie, when at that moment where they were told they were going to have to do the census and they would have to return to Bethlehem, they have that spark of knowing. Even mm-hmm. it was um, Anne. I mean, to have Anne in there is, I right. don't know, like just as Mary's mother. Right. Yeah. They have her playing that. And they're like, the first thing, she's on her deathbed, and she's like, oh, the prophecy. Like, they knew it. As all mm-hmm. this is unfolding, they right. were like, wow, it's happening. Mm-hmm. It's really happening. Yeah, I think that's actually an interesting point for us to come at as we, you know, think of, try to bring some elements of this into our own day and time. Yes. The reality is, is that just like in today, back at this time when Christ was born, There were Jews who were, you know, they're Jews, but they're kind of living their life and not really paying a lot of attention to this, that, or the other. But then there were some Jews who were really longing and waiting and watching and expecting the Messiah. They they knew what had been prophesied. They were watching the signs. They were waiting with great anticipation for the day that the Messiah would come because he was the fulfillment of their desire, the, the promise of the Lord. And so then the question I, you know, we have to ask ourselves as Christians now is how much are we longing for the Lord? We also have a promise mm-hmm. of a Messiah who will come. Are we waiting and longing and looking and reading the signs, expecting that that promise will be fulfilled? Right. You know, because I can only imagine that Mary and Joseph would have been ones even before Mary became, you know, the the mother of the Messiah and, you know, before the, the Annunciation, that they would have been Jews who were longing for the Messiah because they wanted the Lord to come and dwell among them, Mm -hmm. you know? 
And this longing for the Lord, for his return, I feel is something that not enough Christians have burning hot in their soul. <laughs> gotcha. You know, and, yeah. and we want to stoke, I think we should stoke those flames. Right. Not in the sense of, you know, constantly like looking at every prophecy that comes down the line and just, you know, being, you know, just trying to predict dates. Not that. No. Not that at all. More that sense of, yes, I want you to come. I want, I want this world to come to its fulfillment. Yes. You know, you know, Megan, uh, my little different, just a little different angle angle on that one really has really been, am I prepared for him to come? What do Mm -hmm. I need to do to become closer to him, to reduce sin in my life, to be more docile to the spirit? You know, what are those things that, I need to do to be prepared and peaceful and full of joy, as we've talked mm-hmm. on other episodes. Um, so, I, I mean, I look at it from a sense of like, if I were to die tomorrow, would I be ready to meet my Lord? Am I prepared on a spiritual level? Um, I would like to think yes, but I do know I've got lots of work to do, mm-hmm. right. <laughs> as we all do, right? We haven't taken our last breath yet. Yeah, for sure. And it's all part of that desire to grow in a relationship with the Lord, right? To come, yes, yes. to come to, to do it, not because of your fear, what will happen when he comes, but because you love him and you want to be in a place of the deepest amount of intimacy with him that you can on that day that he yes, comes. Like yes. what's more joyful to receive somebody as a guest who is a, you know, casual acquaintance. So, so say you haven't some seen somebody for two years that you was just a casual acquaintance and, and how does it go? Hello, it's so nice to see you again. I hope things have been well with you, you know? Okay. Now imagine two years of your beloved, like, spouse who went to war and was stuck in a military situation for two years and finally comes home. How are you going to greet that person? Right, right. With a feast. (laughs) Right. And so if we want to be disposed to greet the Lord, whether we see him on his second coming or we see him at the end of our earthly journey through natural death, if we want to greet him with joy and excitement and pleasure, it's really based more on the intimacy that we've developed with him in our lives than more than anything else. Mm -hmm. Because even in our sin, even in our fallenness, if we take those opportunities to say, Lord, I want reconciliation with you. I trust in your mercy. I trust in your goodness. I trust in your love of me, even despite the fact that I have fallen. And the Lord is like, I'm so happy you you came to me. I forgive you. I love you. You are a delight to me. Even even when you fall, the fact that you recognize me as your savior delights my heart so much that I'm almost like, I'm almost kind of happy or not really happy you fell, but kind of like, because so I can step in and give you this beautiful mercy, right? 
it's like we're not ever happy that our children get sick. Right. But sometimes it's like really sweet when you get to love on them when they're not feeling well. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you'd still rather them not be sick. But the joy of embracing them and, and loving on them in their weakness and in, mm. in their infirmity. The Lord's like that. And so that intimacy growing in the in relationship as an anticipation to the ultimate meeting of him, I think, right. should be big in our hearts. Well, I have to say, you know, going back to just the contemplation on the nativity itself, I have like two strong pulls in the directions when I am praying this one, uh, the nativity. For for a long time, it was to embrace the poverty, which I think that's the primary one people think of, mm-hmm. uh, to really embrace this. And I want to say simplicity, okay, because that works better for me, that that simplicity is beautiful, right. um, so beautiful, and that really helps me to embrace the what you have kind of thing and i like that you brought that up as far as simplicity versus poverty because i think really simplicity is at its core poverty of spirit yeah right and and the reality is is that financial blessings or you know what your socioeconomic stuff is is really not the primary issue whether you have money or don't have money is like it's really the disposition of the heart. Exactly. Right. And and simplicity says, even in a place of, you know, maybe financial blessings, I can still live a life that's not ordered towards um, excess sensuality, uh, you know, exactly. seeking, seeking pleasures, material pleasures. Like you can mm-hmm. still live simply and, and that actually frees you up to use the financial resources that you do have in the work of building the kingdom. Amen. Yeah, I love that. And and the other one, as you mentioned earlier, is the um, contemplation of the Holy Family. If you walk into my entryway, I have a huge icon of the Holy Family Mm. in my, in my home. Um, And given that I'm a fertility care practitioner uh, and I help with marriage prep, I have a very strong bond with Holy Family and, and doing our part here on earth to build holy families. And so I really contemplate them and their, their strength. I also, I sometimes refer to them as the terrestrial Trinity, you know, (laughs) they're here to help us and be an example for us. You know, Mm -hmm. always asking Joseph, you know, just came out of the year of Joseph and asking him his intercession on our husband and our men. And of course, the blessed mother being Right. right there, but that's also a very beautiful thing. Like, what does it mean to be a holy family? How can not only I do that and, and create it in my home, but to support others in being a holy family? Because we know that the family is the cornerstone of our society. And here at Red Sea Radio, you know, the domestic church, we're all sure. about that and that education, which is that yeah. unit is that first one for us to really contemplate. Right. And I mean, I think this day and age, obviously, there's such an attack on family life Absolutely. and you know, where you've got issues where they're, you know, the redefining of marriage or attempts to um, educate, I quote unquote, educate children in things that have no business being done outside the home and without discernment, of, you know, yes. and everything. And so there's so much of this idea that we can replace solid family structure with the sort of nanny state 
kind of things where, well, we'll just let the state educate your children and let the, you know, let the state be your, your defining structure, you know, or whatever your group of identification is becomes your primary, you know, touch point as opposed to your family unit. And that's really not how God established, you know, human nature to live out uh, its existence in a way that's holy and, and ordered towards the structure that he's created for us. And so we need to, you know, fight against that. We need to fight yes. for families, fight for the idea that the home is the the primary mean place of education for a child. And we need to really um, be vocal when those things, elements of what it is to be a Christian family are being attacked. And, you know, I don't think that we've maybe been as on the ball with that as Christians uh, in the past, you know, 50 years as we should have been, which has allowed us to get to this place. But, you know, now that we see where it's going, we have more responsibility. I got it. You know, as someone who's really contemplated this topic, like, I feel like it's kind of my life's passion. It also starts with the formation of the young people on how to choose a spouse. Oh, absolutely. So it's like that part is broken. Mm -hmm. That's been broken. And so how can we expect people to enter into these lifelong marriages when even Christ is not a part of it? So there's there's, There's multifaceted to holy families for sure. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think it's interesting. We hardly even talk about Christmas and, and we're doing the nativity. <laughs> That's true. I don't really think about Christmas when I contemplate the nativity. I think about his simplicity, mm-hmm. the poverty, the holy family, um, the gift that he is to right. all of us. That's for sure. But, oh, you know, Christmas just isn't in my mind. Uh, you know, yeah, it's 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 the celebration of the the greater reality that God became man. Yeah. You know, the Holy One, the creator of all, condescended to Mm. take on human flesh for one reason and one reason only, love. He loves us so much that he was willing to do whatever it took to save us for this so that we could live forever with him. And that's amazing. And, you know, just to end it, I, I... I would love to just hear any thoughts you had. I mean, we get that line that's probably repeated about five times or so in in Luke at various points. And Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. I love that. Like, what do you think she thought at that night? Well, like what? Just conjecture. Like when, you know, the the shepherds have come, she's had the baby. He's here. She's pondering it. Like, what is going in her heart, you think? Mm. It, this is, is this really real? You know, this is happening. This is something mm-hmm. that we've been expecting for so long. I mean, I, I would think that too, for like, if the Lord came back uh, while we're still living, and I would think, is it really happening? Everything's pointing to it. Is this real? I think there'd be this this joy and this expectation of, like what's next, you know, mm-hmm. what, what's to come. Um, I think she kind of knew that there was going to be a lot of pain associated with her motherhood. Maybe that didn't really come until Simeon's prophecy. Um, but I would still say that there would be this kind of this expectant joy, even in his life and raising right. him. I get to have the Savior with me, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, for sure. I think there probably was also a sense of just 
how to even contain the love that that was probably just just exploding in her heart, right? And then also the understanding that even this early, I will have to share him. You know, I cannot, I cannot hold him so tight and so close and not, he is for the whole world, not just for me. And so that sense of how, how to live in the joy of motherhood with an, an open handedness to sharing him even at this point, mm -hmm. you know, cause can, you can imagine like the last thing you want when you've just like given birth is to some random dirty shepherd guys who you don't <laughs> even know coming into the, the scene, you know, like, like any human mother like would be like, yeah, I don't think that's what I would want. But the reality of this is who he is. He's for the whole world. You know, and just what that means for her as right. a mom. But there's one more thing I want to speak on that I think when I first contemplated it, it just like touched my heart really deeply. We talked last episode about identity, like how um, Elizabeth really affirmed Mary's identity when she saw her. And I think about when I think about the nativity, I think about. Jesus and Mary gazing at each other and like locking eyes for the first time. And that for Mary to be seen by Jesus was actually the first time that anybody could see her and fully understand the truth of who she is because everybody else that looked at her would not know what it is to be without sin. Mm -hmm. And that would have been isolating, I think, to never, ever know that somebody else knows. And then to gaze at her son and for him to gaze at her and to know that she was fully known. A beautiful, mm -hmm. amazing moment of there really is no love on earth that ever has been more deep, more profound, more perfect than love between Jesus and Mary. So true. Even in yesterday's reflection by Louise de Montfort on them, she is him, he is her kind mm. of thing, where they're so much a part of one another. Right. It was yeah. beautiful. So I think, you know, just end with a, you know, a prayer to Mary, just like, help us, teach us to love your son the way you love your son with as much purity and depth of feeling and total abandonment. I mean, yeah. she's the teacher. She's the ultimate teacher on yes. how to love Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your mother. Amen. And thank you all of you for joining us today. We hope you'll come back next time as we walk shoulder to shoulder. God bless. God bless. <laughs>